0: Jesus says, if you want real saving faith, there's only one place you can get it. He says, buy it from me. There's only one place to get what you need, and that's for you to humble yourself and throw yourself at Christ's feet and cry out for His mercy.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his 14-part series with Part 14 of The Seven Churches of Revelation. As we close out our time studying these insightful letters to the churches, Tom continues his study of the church at Laodicea, This church presents a set of warnings for all congregations. As Tom will show, a church that embraces the true gospel can turn to a false gospel within a single generation. Second, everyone who professes an unbiblical gospel must repent and believe the true gospel. Third, everyone whose life is not marked by obedience to Christ must truly repent and believe. Fourth, those in churches that embrace a false Christ are not true Christians. Fifth, faithful believers must sometimes evangelize their own congregation and call its leaders to repentance. Sixth, we must guard the truth of the gospel. And finally, Christ still extends an invitation to truly seek Him in faith and repentance. This invitation extends to you today. Let's join Tom Pennington now for more. On the word unleashed.
0: The only way you get into Jesus' kingdom is you start by recognizing your own spiritual poverty. God, I have nothing you want. I have nothing I can give you to buy my way into your favor. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I have done. There's nothing I am. I am a beggar, and here I am begging. God, be merciful to me, the sinner, like the publican in Jesus' story. He says, buy gold from me, true saving faith. Secondly, he says, buy white garments. Verse 18, buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. Remember, the city was famous for its black wool and its expensive garments, and they had plenty of them, but they were spiritually naked. In the Old Testament, Nakedness symbolized God's judgment. If you were stripped of your clothing, it was like the, the bottom of the barrel. It was as far down as you could go. You can read about it in passages like Isaiah: 21 to4, Ezekiel 16:36, Ezekiel 23:10. "You're naked," he says. And shame meant to be completely disgraced, deserving of divine punishment. It says, You need to buy white garments from me so that you can cover the shame of your nakedness. Now, throughout the book of Revelation, being clothed in white garments describes those who are clothed in righteousness. Look at chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Watch this, clothed in white robes. And they cry out salvation to our God and to the Lamb. Go down to verse 13. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they and where have they come from? I said, My Lord, you know, I I don't know. He said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. So these are tribulation saints, those saved out of the tribulation period. Notice this, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus says, buy those clothes from me. Give up your, your fine black wool garments and recognize you need white clothes. What are they? What, is these, what do these white garments represent? In context, remember, we're talking about people who are lost, obtaining God's salvation. And so, what are these white garments? They're the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. They're the fact that we are not clothed any longer in our filthy garments of sin, but because of justification, because we've been declared right with God, we now wear His righteousness. He says buy from me white garments. You need to cover the shame of your spiritual nakedness by receiving the gift of my righteousness. Thirdly, he says, you need eye salve. Verse 18, buy from me eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Again, Jesus refers here to one of their leading industries in the ISAV for which their nearby medical school was famous. But what does this ISAV represent? Well, clearly again, He's talking about salvation in its largest sense, and so here we're talking about the spiritual illumination by the Spirit to understand your need of the gospel and to understand the gospel itself. They had embraced a flawed gospel and a, a false Christ. And he says, you need to buy from me the eye salve that will allow you to truly see things as they are. It's hard to read this without thinking of John 9. You remember Jesus interchanged there with the, the man who was born blind. And in verse 39 of John 9, Jesus said this. This was his sort of summary of that encounter. He says, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see That is, those who are spiritually blind may see. So if you recognize that you are spiritually blind and you come to Christ and say, give me sight, give me spiritual understanding, help me to know how to know God, how to know you, how to live in a way that honors and pleases you. He says, I came to give sight to people like that. But then he says, and that those who see That is, those who think they already see spiritually on their own may become blind. Their blindness just grows worse. The more you think that you can get there on your own by your own understanding, that you can create your own sort of system, your own sort of approach to God, your own sort of self-prescribed religion, the blinder you're going to get. The only way you will ever see is to come to Christ, admit your spiritual blindness, seeking spiritual eyesight from Him. That brings us then, that's the correction of the sin, that brings us to a call for repentance in verses 19 and 20. Verse 19 says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Now some read that verse and conclude that these people must be true believers. And it's true, this expression taken from Proverbs 3.12 is used in some places, such as Hebrews 12, of God's discipline of His own children. However, these two words, reprove and discipline, are also words that are used of unbelievers. For example, God reproves unbelievers. In John 16.8, Jesus says, "'The Spirit, when He comes,' will convict the world. The the word convict is the word here translated reprove. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This word discipline is also used of unbelievers. For example, in 2 Timothy 2 verse 25, we are with gentleness to correct that's this word discipline, we are to correct those who are in opposition if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And he says, those whom I love, again, some say, well, that must be believers. But remember, our Lord loves unbelievers. He loves unbelievers, not in the same way that he loves believers. He has a special love for his own, for the elect but he loves unbelievers. Mark 10, 21, you remember Jesus in his interaction with the rich young ruler who never came to faith, who just like these people in Laodicea were unwilling to let go of their wealth to really humble themselves, unwilling to admit his need of grace and to believe, Jesus looking at him felt a love for him. And of course, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, I think that means God loves humanity, and I'm I'm in good company. John Calvin himself, no slouch when it comes to the sovereignty of God and salvation, interpreted the same way. So in context then, verse 19 is speaking of unbelievers, and Jesus is saying, out of my love for you, even unbelievers, I am reproving you, I am instructing you in this letter. Verse 19, therefore be zealous and repent. There must be a zeal or eagerness to get right with God. You remember how the Old Testament puts it again and again? And I encourage people this way. You know, some people are, they're wimps. They give up so easily spiritually. You know, it's like, well, I've been praying. and it's like, well, how long? Well, about 30 minutes. What does the Old Testament say? God says, Seek me. Search for me with all your heart. And when you search for me with all your heart, then what? You will find me. That's the idea here. Be zealous. And that zeal has to be accompanied by biblical repentance. What is biblical repentance? It is godly sorrow for your sin and a resolve to turn from it to God. The New Testament call to salvation always includes a call to repent. Faith and repentance come together. Acts 20, 21, Paul says, I solemnly testify. Here was his ministry of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ said, listen, you're lost. You've embraced a false Christ, a false gospel. Buy from me the gold of true saving faith. Buy from me the white garments of imputed righteousness rather than your own filthy garments of self-righteousness. Buy from me what you need. Buy the ISAV to really understand your sin and to understand the gospel. Repent. Zealously pursue me and repent. And Christ followed the command to repent with a gentle invitation in verse 20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, this has often been misunderstood as Christ standing at the door of a person's heart and knocking. And that's a a nice idea and, you know, of course, there's a famous painting that sort of put that out there. But in the context, the door here is not the door to your heart. In context, it's the door to the church in Laodicea. This church was so completely filled with unbelievers that Christ was on the outside Continually knocking, continually trying to enter the church that was called by his name. It's a tragic picture. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm outside the church because you've embraced a false Christ and a false gospel. That tragic picture is followed by a personal invitation in verse 20. If anyone, now we are talking individuals, if anyone there in that church in Laodicea hears my voice and opens the door, if just one person in the church in Laodicea would hear Christ's invitation in this letter and repent, he says, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. The word for dine refers to the evening meal, the main meal in the first century, it was, a, it was a wonderful time of, of relaxation and fellowship. It wasn't like that 30-minute you know, stop at the fast food restaurant. It was a time to sit down and enjoy God's goodness and enjoy one another. It's like the meals when I grew up, you know, my family, there were 10 of us and my parents, and you know, our meals were events. They went on at times, if, they were, if it was a special event, it could go on for two and a half, three hours. And it's not that we ate a bite every moment, You just sat and talked and let food digest and you ate a little more and it was an event. That's like this event. That's what Christ offers. I will come in to him and will dine with him. Christ will enter his church and will enter into fellowship with the one who is truly repentant. This meal Christ refers to here pictures forgiveness and reconciliation now, but it also pictures the promise of a future meal, literally a meal with Christ. Whether it's the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, which we'll study together when we get there, or whether it's meals during the millennium referred to in Luke 13, 29, Luke 22, 29, and 30. It's, it's a promise of all of that. Fellowship with Him now, reconciliation with Him now, and someday actually being with Him and like the disciples, having a meal together. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ invites you. He he advises you, He counsels you to go to Him and seek these things from Him. That's what the Bible calls faith. When you believe enough in who Christ is and what He can do, that you go to Him and you seek these things from Him. He says, come. And you do so zealously. Seek Him with all your heart. Repent. Turn from your sins seeking forgiveness and the change of your heart from Him. He says, I will respond. I will sit down. And have a meal with him, with her. That's repentance. That brings us to the final part of this letter, the conclusion of the letter, verses 21 and 22, an exhortation to each believer. First of all, there is a call to overcome. If you're a true believer and you just keep on believing, you're an overcomer. Every believer is an overcomer. And every believer will inherit all the promises made in all seven letters to those who overcome. In Laodicea, the promise to true believers, to those who overcome, notice verse 21, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. He will sit with Christ on his throne. That's Christ's promise to us. Think about that for a moment. This is a promise of being continually with Christ. It's a promise of being honored by Christ. It's a promise of ruling with Christ. Ruling with Him during the thousand year millennial reign. Chapter 20 verse 4, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. It goes on to say they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. and. The same thing will continue in the new heaven and the new earth. Chapter 22, verse 5, there will no longer be any night and they will have no need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they, the saints, will reign forever and ever. Jesus says, they'll sit with me on my throne. He goes on in verse 21 to say, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne... Of course, the reference is to Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The point, folks, is that we share in Jesus Christ's victory. We are with him, we are honored by him, and we rule with him forever. The letter ends, as they all have, with a call to listen in verse 22 he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a challenge to everyone who hears or reads these letters to to pay close attention to what the Spirit is continually saying to all the churches through his word. It's a call to every Christian to hear every letter. So what are the lasting lessons from Laodicea? What do we learn from this letter? Let me just give them to you very quickly. Number one, a church that embraces the true gospel can turn to a false gospel within a single generation. The church in Laodicea was planted in the early 50s AD. John writes Revelation in the mid-90s, 45 years later, and there's not a single believer in the church. That should give us pause. Secondly, Everyone who professes an unbiblical Christ and an unbiblical gospel must repent and believe the true Christ and the true gospel. This is is Christ's invitation. In Matthew 7, verses 13 and following, Jesus said, avoid the wide gate that leads to destruction. How How do you choose the wrong gate to heaven? Well, the next verses explain how. It's because of false prophets who are standing at the wide gate going, this is the way, come this way to heaven. You need to turn to the biblical Christ and the biblical gospel. Thirdly, everyone who professes the true Christ and the true gospel, but whose life is not marked by obedience to Christ, must truly repent and believe. This is the next part of Matthew seven, where he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, wait a minute, we know you. And Jesus says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And you know, a lot of of people live in fear. Is is that me? Is that me? Listen, you don't have to wonder. Jesus explains who they are. The very next phrase, he says, you who work lawlessness. And then he goes on to tell the story, remember, of the, the one who built his house on the sand, the one who built his house on the rock. What's the rock? It's not Christ. In that parable it's obedience to Christ's commands. That's how you tell if you're the real thing or not. You're not saved by obedience, but you can tell whether or not you're really the real thing based on your obedience to Christ's commands. If you're not living in obedience to Christ, don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. Repent and believe. Number four, those in churches that embrace a false Christ and a false gospel are not true Christians. Oh, there might be a few here and there. People ask me, what what about the Roman Catholic Church? You know, you think there are believers in the Roman Catholic Church? My response to that is, yes, there are true believers in the Roman Catholic Church if they either don't understand what the Roman Catholic Church teaches or they don't believe it. But they're not true believers if they have understood and embraced the false gospel that Roman Catholicism teaches. Be careful. Same thing with the prosperity gospel. Number four, We must evangelize churches like the church in Laodicea that are connected to the Christian church but teach a false gospel. Number six, as a church, we must guard the truth of the gospel. How do you do that? How can we as a church make sure we're not like the church in Laodicea? Well, we need to maintain a definitive doctrinal statement. We need to continue to evaluate all potential teachers and elders against that doctrinal statement. We need to continue to ask our existing elders and teachers to reaffirm their agreement to that doctrinal statement. We need to ask them to affirm without hesitation or equivocation that they agree with that doctrinal statement. We need to ensure the doctrinal statement continues to be changeable only by the entire church, so a handful of people can't change what this church believes about the gospel. We need to maintain a careful membership process that requires potential members to read and affirm the doctrinal statement, to share their testimony of a viable faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to continue to actively identify false versions of the gospel in the larger culture. Folks, we have to be on guard. And then finally, number seven, Christ still extends an invitation to truly seek Him in faith and repentance. Listen, if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, did you see His heart? Do you see the invitation? He truly extends this invitation to you. He says, come to me, seek me, and buy without money these things from me. I'll give them to you if you'll humble yourself and you'll come to abandon your self-righteousness, abandon your pride, humble yourself, come as a beggar to Jesus Christ saying, I have nothing to offer you but my sinful self. Save me, redeem me, forgive me, change me, make me your own. And his response is, I will come into them and dine with them. Let's pray together.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that concludes our current series, The Seven Churches of Revelation. Join us next time as Tom begins a brand new series right here. But Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us?
0: You know, friend, my hope is as you have walked through the letters to the seven churches with me, that you have developed a fresh understanding and appreciation for how much our Lord loves His church and how much He expects us as individual believers to belong to a church and to do everything that we can to make sure the church we belong to stays spiritually vibrant and healthy. I hope that's your heart. I hope you have connected to a church, you are serving your fellow believers in that church, and you are being faithful to the Lord, loving him by loving his bride, by loving his people, and serving him faithfully by serving them.
1: Thanks, Tom. Well, friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You'll find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory